0: Hello and welcome to Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Billy. I'm Gabe. I'm Marie. And I'm Will. All right, people, we are here to do, uh, we're doing a thing. Will had this idea, we're doing a book club uh, around Six of Crows, so I'm going to hand it over to the moderator himself, old Will Ralston here, and I'm excited, I love this book. So what do you got in store for us, buddy? Let's do it.
1: So this is going to be part one of two of our discussion of Lee Bardugo's uh, Six of Crows. And the reason I really wanted to do this book was because uh, for my writing group, The Immortals, Mm -hmm. I wanted all of us to discuss it um, as a writing group because my space opera heist novel really uh, was inspired because of Six of Crows. And so I figured what a great way that we could all read about it and discuss it. And I pulled in um, two of the Immortals on our episode, which is Billy and Gabe. Mm-hmm. And I also asked Marie to come in and uh, discuss it. You know, I, I figured she would have some great opinions. Uh, so what I'm going to do is uh, turn it over to our guests to talk about themselves and i am first going to go with marie
2: well thank you will um and thanks for the invitation to be here yeah so my name is marie i live in new mexico i write speculative fiction mostly fantasy let's be real um (laughs) oh let's be unreal actually (laughs) um And I'm actually currently working on a fantasy heist also. So this book has been at the top of my list to read. So thanks for giving me the excuse to do it. But uh, um, yeah, and my debut is actually co-written and comes out this year, 2022. Um, My co-author is named Jesse Honard, and the book is called Unrelenting. And I'm very thrilled um, that it's going to be coming out this year.
1: Amazing. uh, Marie, do you uh, and Jesse have a date of when it's coming out?
2: spring 2022 so we Amazing. don't know yet but if anyone's interested in getting updates you can head to the gregorybooks.com and sign up for our email list not to like you know <laughs> give no, you all, a, all the action right away but
0: <laughs> no because no, we're gonna put that away. in the show notes so
1: please yeah. tell us the things
2: yeah. I'm yep. uh, I'm unashamed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, do it. And also, too, is maybe by the time this episode airs, that we will actually have yeah. a pre-order link as well. So everyone, while we might not have a pre-order link right away on like as we're talking, maybe by the time the show does come out, please look at the show notes. Please um pre-order. Okay, because it makes a really big difference. And Marie and Jesse are our friends, and we are so excited about their book coming up. And later down the line, they both are going to be on the show to discuss their book, which we're super excited about. Can't wait. Um, Next, I'm going to turn it to um, Billy, who is part of my uh, writing group called The Immortals. And Billy, why don't you tell everyone what you uh, are writing and, and what type of genres you write in
3: hello everyone um yeah i'm, I'm billy uh, palmer i'm uh a part of the immortals with will um i write sci-fi uh fantasy and horror um and sometimes uh i combine them all um and uh let's see what am i writing right now i'm writing a story uh a fiction story about scribes who carve the teeth of giants uh to direct their power and uh a steampunk fantasy called Dragon Gear. And it's as, um, it's as like dragony and, you know, <laughs> mech as it sounds. So, and uh, that's it. Oh, that sounds amazing.
1: And Billy is also, I can speak to this because I read his work often, is really a diverse writer. Um, and if you ever get to see him, say, maybe if he goes to the Writing Excuses um, Cruise this year, just hand him some teeth. Maybe if you find <laughs> some shark teeth on the beach, just hand him some teeth.
3: Uh, There's a lot of teeth in my fiction, yeah. if you can't tell. It's just yeah. teeth carving and dragon right. teeth, and it's everywhere. Yeah, so be on the lookout teeth. for teeth, okay?
1: Got you. You <laughs> know, if you want to play him that Lady Gaga song um, from the fame monster teeth, he'll appreciate it. He'll break into a dance. It's great. <laughs> um <laughs> Next, we will um, lead it off to Gabe. Uh, it's all yours. Tell us about what you love to write and what you're working on.
4: Um, hi, everyone. I'm Gabriel F. Salmeron. I write fantasy. I've been working on the same story for the past six years. It has all the elements in the periodic table. It has dogs because I have seven dogs. That's a thing you should know about me. Okay, a lot of dogs. Uh, so there's going to be dogs. The dog never dies as well. That's another thing to note about my my writing. And uh, I'm also a blacksmith, a chemical engineer, and all those things also appear in my story. There's a lot of thermodynamics and uh, science-y cool stuff in a fantasy setting. So,
1: yeah, that's basically it. I'm going to pitch this for everyone. I'm going to pitch this book for everyone. Gabe's book that he's currently working on is Avatar The Last Airbender – meets the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson. Mm. Uh, but it's cooler, and it's still being built, but what we've all gotten a chance to read at The Immortals has blown us away, and each time he submits part of his novel, we're like, could you write a little bit quicker? Because we would like to read it a little <laughs> bit more. Okay? Okay. Like don't, don't be throwing us a, um, a Pat Rothfuss on us. Okay. Where it's going to take you years to get to book two <laughs> or three, just letting you know, Gabe. Um, yeah, thank you. He's my personal excellent. picture. Yes. That's mm-hmm. That kind of sounds sexual. I need one of those um, <laughs> personal picture. <laughs> no. I don't care if it's that sexual is. or not. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Why not? That's how we roll in this show. Um, all right. So I am going to take volunteers for the first question. How would you describe Six of Crows to someone who's never heard of it?
0: I I actually pitched this to some of my students um, Mm -hmm. not too long ago because it's in the library at the school I work work at. And I basically told them it's a badass fantasy heist with amazing, compelling characters. And if you haven't read it, I'm not sure why
1: you haven't. (laughs) That's not helpful, but that's how I pitched it. Okay. Um, Nick, how would you pitch it?
5: So, Space Heist with Magic. That's kind of how I, I pitch it to people. And kind of get into depth about some... I like Inez a lot. So, I, I like to talk about well,
1: Inez and how cool we'll, she is. But we'll, get we'll get to, get to the characters. Later. Yeah, we will. Um, does anyone have any, like, little one-liners or how they would describe it to people? Marie?
2: I mean, I would say all the things that especially Marshall was just saying, but also it's just impeccably plotted. Like if you're looking for the, like the Plato's perfect form (laughs) of a heist, you know, it's a really good model to follow.
4: Gabe. So yeah, I would jump off what Marie said in the sense that it's perfectly plotted in a way that everything is earned and everything, even if it's surprising, you're not like, yeah, I don't see that happening. Like it's the writing adage of it's surprising yet inevitable. Like you can see it coming from a mile away or you cannot, but it's going to surprise you either way. That's I think that's an amazing thing of this book. A hundred percent.
3: Billy. I would also add that the characters are so just like amazing and distinct. And each of them has just a completely developed voice. Um, and, uh, and I love that about it, that every time it's like, I didn't necessarily even need the chapter headings to know who I was reading, whose, uh, whose head I was living in at the time.
1: So how I like to describe this, um, so six of crows is technically the fourth book in Leigh Bardugo's Grishaverse, uh, universe that she's created. The first three was, uh, based on the popular show, well, the show is based on the popular novel, shadow and bone shadow and bone was the first book in the first trilogy. Um, And how I describe six of crows. And I usually give this as an intro into the Grisha verse. I describe it as you're meeting like the, um, a group of thieves, the X-Men in a Russian inspired universe. You know, because what Lee does is she really takes a lot of uh, Russian folklore um, to create the Grisha and the Second Army. But what's interesting is that she's populated these world with these really unique cultures that are inspired by real life, and she does it authentically without appropriating um, our current type of cultures here in the U S or around the world, really. Uh, So Marshall, you had your hand up. How would you, what were you going to
0: Yeah. I was just going to piggyback on what Billy said too, um, about the distinct characters and their voices. Also the author does a phenomenal job and I might've missed this because my family just walked by and asked me something, but I think there's, and, and I actually, I think Gabe said this, there's nothing wasted in that no little detail is wasted. So like, I know we're not talking about characters yet, but for example, the gloves that Kaz has, right? It's throughout, but like it's subtle, there's subtleties in every character, but everything interconnects with every other character and there's nothing wasted within that. And I think to be able to write like that from a craft perspective um, is something to admire with Bardugo's work for sure.
1: So um, I've heard a lot of Lee actually talk about the uh, construction of Six of Crows. And I think for anyone who's read it, everything that you're hearing come off of us is that it was masterfully p- plotted. But at the same time, it's very character-driven. You really get a sense of each of the characters' voices. And if anyone has ever listened to Sarah Enney's uh, First Drift podcast, um, I will put it in the show notes of what episode it is. Uh, but Lee talks about that this was one of the hardest books she ever wrote. And in fact, she needed to take a break from writing it for a minute, and that's when she wrote her first adult novel, Ninth House. So I want to talk about first, let's just let's just think of it, you know, and I ask those questions about pitching, because I think as writers, when we're thinking of our own work, if we can pitch another author's work, it can help us better formulate of how we would talk about our own book. Maybe not so much in a query letter, because we're going to use comparables that are Current, But it also just as when we're talking about our own work to our peers, or when our books come out to, you know, anyone who loves to read, I think this is a really great way for all of us to get into the habit of pitching, you know, any type of book. But first, I just want to like, I want us to come from a perspective before writers, just as fans, and as a reader. And so, Maria, I want to... Um, ask you first like just as a reader of science fiction and fantasy like what did you think of it like what were you what were you left with when you finished the whole book
2: um i was torn because i couldn't decide if i wanted to go read book two uh or go back and read this again because i loved it so much (laughs) Yeah, yeah it's just really um great world great characters and um the pacing and definitely that satisfaction of what Gabe was talking about, about everything just clicking so beautifully.
1: Yeah. I think that's just a really testimony of um, Lee's amazing crafting of a story. You know, I think when I think of her, I think of like someone who is like a real storyteller. Like she's the person that I think of when you think about like gathering around a fire or like gathering around someone's living room and like listening to talk. And again, I've seen Lee talk at signings about four times, and each time she is so captivating and gracious, and also real. She talks about the real struggles of sometimes of writing. Um, so, Gabe, what were your thoughts after you finished the book, just as like a reader of science fiction and fantasy? Mm-hmm. I think it had
4: been a while since I had been so hooked with the characters. I don't, not that I don't care, obviously I do. What happens afterwards to, like, in, like, the plot itself, I just want to see the next part of the character's arc, like, from all of them. Like, even the ones that you would say are more secondary in the group, like, I want to see everything that happens to them. And, like, I'm super hooked. I've been thinking about so much about relationships, about the the gray areas of each character and how that's played out and everyone Mm -hmm. and how and how they're going to turn out. That's what I'm, I'm super hooked
1: in that part. Awesome. And Marshall, what did you want to add?
4: Yeah. Um,
0: I really like that you said, I mean, obviously this is a very character driven story. Um, but what I think, what I think Lee Bardugo does so freaking well on a, on almost a subtle level. I mean, we've been talking a lot about setting Um, in our master's program right now. And, and that city um, Ketterdam is just insanely uh, well realized and the inner workings. And like, for me as a star Wars fan, I've always been insanely intrigued by like the underworld. Right. And like this city for me is like, Holy shit, it's all underworld. It's all intrigue and it's just it's fun and i want to and i want to know who is who's making place for power what's going on so like yes the that's still character driven on some level but the city itself um is 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 a character for sure and and i think and i think we'd be remiss not
1: to mention that for sure for sure and Billy, talk to me about your experience of reading it. I mean, I know me and Billy have especially texted back and forth about this book um, and just our experiences. So tell me what, you know, what did it leave you with as just a reader, just as like, you know, reading science fiction and fantasy?
3: It's it, like, kind of like Gabe said, it's been a while since I've been so hooked not only by characters, but by the world. And um, I quickly, so I read Six of Crows. That was my first introduction to the Grishaverse. And then I just, I bought Shadow and Bone. Um, I was just at Books a Million today. I was trying to find, um, a paper copy of Six of Crows, but couldn't. And then I bought Ninth uh, House instead, uh, cause I could find it. I'm just like instantly hooked to whatever Lee Bardugo writes. And, um, so it was, it was, it was like, I don't know that it's hard to express in words, but that feeling of like, finally, okay, a world I can spend some time in, you know, it's been a long time since I've, since I've just really wanted to hang out in the world. I just finished, you know, the Jade trilogy and, and was feeling slightly sad. So so I'm happy (laughs) to be, be in this world.
1: Thinking about the, we keep talking about the uh, structure and how the plot was and the heist itself. So let's talk about plot beats for a minute. And I want to take anyone volunteers who feel strongly. Was there anything that you looked at through the view of a three act structure or seven uh, plot point structure that you felt really called to you? Like when you were looking at the story as through a writer's eyes that you thought about, you know, this was ingenious of, you know, how this was structured. Gabe.
4: It clicked more with a seven point plot structure. But what I would like to point out is that I did like a quick, I felt it while I was reading, but just a quick like page count. And around like part, parts five and six, it's divided into six parts. And by parts five and six, it goes down in page number. Like you have chapters that are around 18 pages, 20 pages in the previous parts. And you in part five, you have seven pages average with a maximum of 10 pages and a minimum of four. And with the next part where it's still rising action in, the, in part six, you get an average, I think it's around eight with a, with a minimum of four and a maximum of eight pages. And That's... you can feel how that moves the story.
1: So talk, way, to, way, way, me, way. talk to me at what point in the book mm-hmm. that you feel like it was just moving at lightning pace.
4: I think it was around, I put it down here. I'm not remembering. I don't have that kind of memory. It's around chapter 27 that you can feel the rising action, that you can start to feel the things, all the things that have been set up, that they're now starting to move. Like, there's no stopping what's going to happen now.
1: So I'm just going to read a section from chapter 27, and this is the opening of it, and it's called From Jesper's Point of View. Where the hell is Kaz? Jesper bounced from foot to foot in front of the incinerator the dim clang of alarm bells filling his ears, rattling his thoughts, yellow protocol, red protocol. He couldn't remember which was which their whole plan had been built around nearing the sound of an alarm. It was the, I'm sorry, their whole plan had never been built um, around hearing the sound of an alarm. So I think just that opening chapter of chapter 27 and it's, Part five, the ice does not forgive when they're in um, the the, ice uh, palace. Yep, the ice palace. Um, This is when things really do move at a lightning pace. And just for everyone who's listening, that you know, we're in chapter 27, and it actually, as far as chapter goes, it goes up to chapter 46, right? So we're, I want you to just think about that. We're in chapter 27. We're on page 321 of the paperback, okay? And we have to go get to 463 is the last page. That's more than 100 pages, but those 100 pages move at such a quick pace. And when you're thinking of story, you would think that would be dragging, right? And also, a lot of times when we talk about young adult literature – Sometimes people will look down on it, right? But some of the best stories in the last 20 years has been young adult. Because this is a book that any adult, I have rarely seen an adult author, build tension and create a complex story as well as Lee does for this book. So Marie, I saw that you, um, did you want to add anything? I felt like you wanted to say something um nick had his hand up too
2: yeah i think it was nick
1: oh, okay nick go ahead
5: now gabe, gabe actually said it all i actually viewed this as a seven point plot structure and really related it to that i mean it, it is broken up into six different parts for the book um so if you have the paperback you can see that there but yeah no just adding on to what gabe said he said
1: it all for me great go ahead marie
2: Yeah, I actually had a lot easier time plotting it on a three act structure than I did seven point because I found myself on seven point just going down the rabbit hole of like, well, this is Kaz's seven point plot structure Mm -hmm. and this is Nina's seven point plot structure. (laughs) And they all, I mean, it's a testament to how strong the characters are, but, you know, because you, you know, you're looking at, well, what's the protagonist's goal and the protagonist is the crew at as at large right but Mm -hmm. each one of them is so strong that they each have their own arc that is so compelling and lines up really nicely on top of the plot beats
1: so talk to me about the three-act structure for a minute can you give us some pointers of what really spoke to you um like some specific points when you were looking at the three-act structure what what made you like go towards that structure for the story
2: yeah i mean i think i i I just said, okay, chapter one is a prologue, and I set it aside. It's important um, because it speeds up the scene where uh, we commit to the heist, um, where Kaz is having his meeting with Van Eck initially. Um, But if you just kind of punt that out the window, (laughs) that first chapter, from there forward, it does fit the 3X structure really nicely. You know, you, you sort of lay the scene with, like, the brawls between these different gangs, and life is rough ah, uh, but here's maybe a way out, um, you know, The and then we've got this spiraling, um, you know, no, no turning back now as they're trying to get onto the ship. Uh, there's really no space for them in Ketterdam unless they come back victorious, um, you know, and so it, it just, it does a really nice job of whatever you think that plot point ought to be and whatever you think it ought to be doing, um, you know, whether it's making the decision, no turning back, oh no, things are horrible. Oh no, things are horrible. Or like they're doing all those
1: things. A hundred percent. Marshall, you had something to add?
0: Uh, Well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I can see the seven point um, plot structure for sure. But when I find, when I, when I'm plotting books or thinking about a book and I'm going to use multiple POVs, it's very daunting to think about seven point in a character driven story, because you have to like, like, um, like Marie said, you have to outline it by character, pretty much, because everybody has their own little mini arcs in this book, right? Um, and in the series, so you know, it's easier for my brain to think about the th- the, the the three act uh, plot structure. And again, when you get to that heist point, I mean, that's that third act. That's like shit's gonna hit the fan, and it's either gonna go or it's not. And um, that's easier for me to think about. And then breaking up within that. The individual arcs of the characters, um, I think, is a easier way for my brain to think about it, um, because otherwise I'm bogged down and like, wait, but Jesper is doing this right now, and you know, Inez is doing this right now, and it just gets like kind of crazy. So that's what I was saying.
1: So I also want to add, the first chapter actually opens up with a character who we don't see after this juiced. Um, And I want to just lead in with the first line of the first chapter. Juiced had two problems, the moon and his mustache. I felt like that was such an interesting way to be like, okay, one, what's going on with the moon? And what is his mustache all about? And then when we start reading it, he was supposed to be making his rounds at the Hode house. But in the last 15 minutes, he'd been hovering around the southeast wall of the gardens, trying to think of something clever and romantic to say to Anya. And I figured, wow, this is such a great way to get into a character's um, head. And also, it's so fundamental when you like someone and you're thinking of all these different things about them. But what I also um, thought about when I read the first chapter is is this the first chapter of someone who wrote their first novel? And I thought about it as from being, you know, um, a early career writer. And I think this wouldn't have worked under someone who wasn't as deft as Kraft, but also someone who um, didn't already have this existing world. You know, that's what makes the first chapter work so, so well, is that even if you're not, uh, even if you didn't read the first three books, I still feel like you're getting a sense of this big world, you know, within that first chapter. Mel go ahead, Marshall.
0: Well, I, I read them out of, I read them in that order. Um, I remember you had recommended Six of Crows to me at some point, and I was like, "Oh, I'll read that." And I turned my wife onto it, and I read the sequel, and then I went back and read the Shadow and Bone trilogy. So, but yeah, there's no, there wasn't a point, like I said earlier, uh, with Six of Crows. I got the sense of this huge world that, like, I just want to, I just want to hang out in, right? Um, but she did a good job. Whether you had read that first trilogy or not. You didn't need to because the way that she outlined um, and laid out Six of Crows, for sure. So I just wanted to throw that because I think Gabe mentioned something about that earlier
1: too. A hundred percent. So, you know, in this, like the structure um, and the plot points, all of us have mentioned the characters as well as the overreaching plot. So now I want to have a little fun and I want to just go around and tell me who either was your favorite character or who you identified with the most or both, because they can be two different ones of who you identify with, but who was your favorite. And I'm going to take volunteers with this one who would like to start off first. Okay, Billy, go for it.
3: So this, this one's really difficult for me because I think that I loved so many, I loved the characters so much. Um, like every one of them, um, even Wylan after a while. And uh, so I think that, I think I love Jesper. Um, but people have told me that I'm Kaz Brecker, which I, I'm like, I don't know how I take that. He's, he's super compelling. He's like such a compelling character and I'm a little self-conscious about being related to him.
4: So or people relating him to me? Yeah.
1: I love it. And Gabe, what about you? I saw, do you want to go next?
4: Oh, I was nodding along to Billy, but I yeah, I can go next. And Counterpoint to what Billy said, Wilden I would say is my favorite character mm. because the others, I mean, I would say the others like are kind of obvious in being amazing and being like the center of the team, but Wilden how he starts to unwind and how we see like that's the character that I, that I would love the most to see more of, and how he is taking he's super brave with these people in a world that he had never been like even dipped his toes in. And I think his development was amazing. And I was just not that I was hooked at the beginning with him, but by the end I was like, yeah, I, I need to see more of Wyland. I need to see more of this guy. He, I loved him so much.
3: You have to read Crooked Kingdom then.
1: Yeah.
4: Just,
3: uh, no spoilers, but throwing that out I, there. I
1: have to, I have to say this about the Wylan. It's interesting that you pick that, which is also very logical. Wylan is actually the reader who's never been seen through these characters. So we have a character that literally is having fresh eyes for everyone where everyone has these little already um, connections, Kaz and Inej, you know, Nina and um, Matthias, you know, like they already have these structures built and Jesper, is interconnected with all of them, except for Matthias, we'll say it first, but he's already has a rapport with Kaz, has a rapport with Inej. And here comes Wylin, who's just like, and what's interesting about Wyland also is that people think they know his story because he was this rich boy who maybe his parent, his father didn't like, but they don't really know his story yet. Mm-hmm. And I think as you start to see Wylin's growth, you start to understand the character a lot more and you actually start to see his actual strength, which isn't brute strength. So Marie, who, um, talk to me, who did you identify with or who was your favorite?
2: I, I love Jesper just cause I love the witty repartee. That's always one of my things. Um, and of course he's using it as a defense mechanism. So that's all the more endearing. <laughs> um, I also love Wyland. Um, it, I was so sad that we never got a POV chapter for him, um, which I realized today and kind of flipping back through the book. But I'd say the character that I maybe personally identify the most with would be Inej. Um, she's kind of going through uh, a redefinition of self and trying to decide um, which path her life should take. And I've been going through personal like changes as well so uh, i think going through this time that was that was the character who spoke to me
1: yeah i mean i think um an is just a really complex soulful character uh gabe you had a comment oh
4: yeah I, f- I forgot to mention that i identified with jesper in the sense that i feel i think i noted like seven things that he has adhd <laughs> so like and i felt that thing of just wanting to be in motion all the time, and uh as Marie said, like he is with that uh like that banter he uses, he's like avoiding stuff, just going yeah, if there's gonna something important gonna happen, he's gonna say something and get distracted and go to the next thing so and I think I can identify with her.
1: you know on that point, you know so. In talking with uh, Billy and Gabe about the book, I already told them who I thought they were, and I totally thought Billy was Kaz and Gabe was Jasper, like hands down. I was like, "Those are the two that I see you as." And uh, just for side funny note, <laughs> Billy says to me, uh, "You really think I'm Kaz? Like you think I have that much darkness in me?" And I was like, "Oh no, no, no! You're just that badass. Okay, that's why." Um, and the reason I thought of Jesper was a lot for the reasons that Gabe said, but also like the way Jesper is with guns. This is going to make Gabe sound creepy, but it's not. (laughs) Is the way Gabe is with knives because Gabe, um, you know, makes knives, you know, and he makes really beautiful knives. Uh, he's going to start a business. Um, (laughs) so I just kept thinking just the jovialness that I think Jesper has is a lot reminds me of Gabe. So, uh Marshall or Nick, did you want to add in of who you uh like identified with or is your favorites? I'm gonna go after Nick because
0: Nick uh was gonna volunteer to go first. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go after him. Go ahead, buddy.
5: Yeah, I'm going with Jasper is my favorite. Just really like I <clears throat> identified with him a lot too. Um there. And he's a gun guy. I like guns too. Um and just I don't know, it's very His old demeanor just like made things feel like it was going to be all right until it wasn't going to be all right. Then, so I, you know, I really liked him as a character. I loved him and wanted kind of more of him uh, throughout the series. But, uh, well, I'm going to actually open this one up to you and ask you, who do you feel like I most like? Because I, I, I don't have. I was an going to ask
0: him the same thing when I was done because he didn't give us characters. And oh, I was yeah, going to say who I my characters I don't, I don't were and an then answer. I was going to throw it back. So oh, I do. Nick, you're jumping I, the gun, I, I bro. I kind of have an answer for, for you,
1: um, <laughs> I have an answer for you, Nick. I personally think you're Wylin. Ooh, that's good. I do because Wylin will come across one way and sometimes Wyland doesn't know. How brilliant he really is, and there's also a slight deep hurt that's in him. But he's also very observant, and he's very mindful of people's feelings. And I feel like that is like you. I feel like you're an empathic a lot of times, and you don't. I think you realize it sometimes, yes. but well, I, I think oh. I think you are definitely Wylan. Okay, I, I uh, agree I with except- that. I like that.
5: And you went a different route with that answer. And I appreciate it and love you. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Anytime. Um, Marshall, you had something to say.
0: Yeah. So um, I'm with the Jesper crowd mostly because he, I love that character for the same reason. I love Han Solo. Um, And I'm rewatching all the star Wars movies with my family right now. And to me, you know, the gunslinger witty sarcasm, like for me, like that's kind of how, how I kind of, move through the world a little bit, but at the same time, um, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm more identify with Inej, um, a lot, mostly because of the, I think Marie said this too, like the, the searching and and there's a purpose behind what she does. I love an assassin and don't get me wrong, no matter what, I'm going to love the assassin character more than anybody else, which is why Jesper, I love, but Inej identify with, but cause there's a, there's a darkness and there's always a, um, a purpose within that darkness. And I, and I got that from Inez, Right. Um, and she's a weapon. Right. Um, which is, which is what most assassins are. Um, you can point them in a direction, but Inej, one of the, there's a couple scenes. Um, I think it was the silo scene more than anything. It was just like, there's something there's a, there's still a questioning there. Like there's still more than just point and, and shoot with, with that particular weapon. Um And, and, and there's a reason Kaz loves her as well. And, and so that character, that relationship between her and Kaz really spoke to me. Um, But Jesper was just fun as hell. So I love that. I love it. So that, that's my answer. Um, And now at some point, Will, you'll tell me what character you think I am, or I'm going to feel left out and I'm going to cry.
1: Yes, I will. Just give me a minute, Marie. What did you want to add?
2: <laughs> no, I just, I just want to jump on the Inej love a little bit more. That it's so fascinating to me that she's literally made a career out of being small and silent and not grief. noticed. You know, and uh, there's a moment where you know she's like, "I'm dangerous," you know, and she kind of like rolls that that word around in her mouth and thinks about it and it feels good, but a little scary. Um, And, and I think that was just really cool to see that like that part of her could actually be part of her strength, not just the part of her that got beaten down and honestly, severely traumatized. And um, I mean, I think she's been through just as much as any of them, you know, she's, she's been a true victim and now she's a true survivor, but I, I do want to hear what Will has to say about Marshall. <laughs> well,
0: but the attachment to the saints too, I thought was really interesting for Edge's yeah. character. And I think that was again, like, and, and I like that you said, like she makes a career being small An assassin can't be noticed. She's a wraith, right? She's invisible. But at the same time, there is a, um, there's a devotion underneath that, right. To the saints, to the, to the naming of the weapons, to like the, there's a methodical, uh, part to her weaponry and i think that's it's beautiful the way bardugo laid it out um so i, I i'm with you i love that character
2: yeah i mean it feels like survival mechanism to mm-hmm. me you know because absolutely how else could she get through what she'd gone through right. previously
1: 100 anyway. percent. yeah Inej is a i think a a fascinating character um billy go ahead what did you want to say
3: just listening to everybody talk about their favorite characters and um, that you know, just kind of their characteristics and stuff, I, I just realized that I think Lee does a really great job of like foiling each character with another character um, that like just really enhances their character their personalities in a lot of ways. And I was just thinking of trying to kind of match them up and thinking of Kaz and and Inej and how Kaz is just like you know, I have no saints, I have no gods. And Anes is like, I have the saints. And um just thinking of uh, Jesper and Wylan and, and Matthias and Nina and how they all just kind of like highlight each other's characteristics by being opposite in a lot of ways. Um, so it's pretty interesting. And also so, needing
0: each other too, right? And like the, mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, those foils are also kind of like a Batman Joker kind of thing, right? Like they need... They're opposite, but they need each other, you know, um, and they grow because they're together.
1: So for me, I would say, um, I, the two characters I identify or that I love the most are, is, uh, Nina and Inej. And I think Inej for very apparent reasons, if anyone knows me, um, because just of my upbringing and like having to learn to survive and to be super young and to, I, you know, I moved to New York city when I was um, just about to turn 18. I've never been here before. um, And I didn't really have a choice. I needed to leave home and I needed to be on my own. And I think looking back at the time when you're in it, You don't think anything of it. You're just like, well, I had to. But now as I'm a lot older, I look back and I really look at like, wow, I was really resourceful. I really did really well for myself because almost everyone that I knew, um, now who's around that age of like 18 to 24 or, you know, a little older, couldn't even – uh, manipulate the city or move around this, uh, New York City the way I did. So I really identified with um, Inez in that way. For me, for Nina, to me, Nina is actually the heart of the whole group. She is a lover. She is also a fierce protector. And she also doesn't make things black and white, which therefore, Marshall, you remind me very much of Nina because I'll she she is a caretaker, but she's a warrior and she understands about loyalty and she understands about the complexities of life. I think in a lot of ways, Nina is such a, she has a global perspective, but she also understands what it's like to look at that perspective in individuality with the people that she meets. You know, I think she sees things where other people don't see things. And I, I think this is why you kind of see Nina and Inej in the first book really start to develop this fondness of each other, you know? And I thought that was a really interesting because I think sometimes when you, sometimes how other women how, uh, are written, right? In stories, how many times do we really see a story uh, with science fiction or fantasy where these women are complex but they're friends. There's no competition, you know, like they really have their back. And I felt like, you know, that is definitely um, good things for anyone who is not identifying as a woman to notice that Lee does with those characters, you know, because I, I think it would be very easy if you are a male to write women at odds with each other you know, within a group dynamic, you know, and I think that's one of the most special things that all of them have different levels of uh, relationships with them. Go ahead, game.
4: Um, I was thinking, and this adds to what I was thinking as well, thinking back, talking back to what uh, Marshall said about the foils, about the characters being foils, what I love and what's so brilliant about what Lee did is that it's not linear. Like there's like the obvious foils, Matthias and Nina, and uh, like the couplings and Kaz and Esh, but you also have, for example, Matthias for Kaz Mm -hmm. because Matthias has the perfect, like the moral compass, even if he is twisted in how he grew up, but he has the decency as Cass tells him. And he also is learning to be a bit dirty from Kaz. And you also get Nina with Jesper regarding like being a Grisha. So there's there's no one like that... one just has one foil. Like every character has one foil. Everyone is jumping off each other. And I think that's super hard to do, to pull off. And it's brilliantly done. And it gives so much character in every single scene.
1: Absolutely. Go ahead, Daly. It
4: it
3: gives so much tension in every single scene as well. And I think that that's that's what she does really well, is like in-the-moment comparisons in a lot of ways, conversationally, but then also just her description of them. She does a great job with that.
1: Um, So I just want to know, like, marshall nick um who do you think i am
0: oh shit
1: should i take the bullet on this
0: one <laughs> go ahead i know i think i have an idea <clears throat> no
5: i uh, nina really? i have
1: to i, 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 I have to go with nina something. on this one yeah well, how, um, why do you think nina
5: because you can see through the bullshit and that's exactly what nina does with matthias She really sees Hmm. him for him, not for what he's basically been bred to do to what he's been conditioned. And Matthias is a really interesting character. I'm surprised we haven't talked about him yet, but I would for you will. I'm going with Nina mainly for the fact that you you live through the world at your own pace and you see through
0: everyone's disguises
4: and you take no shit. Yeah, I agree with
0: that. I mean, cause Nina doesn't put up with nothing and I love that about her. <laughs> and, and if there's anything I picked up from you, well, you don't put up with some shit. So that's what, I, that's what I appreciate about you. You know, you'll put it on front street and you're like, you know what? Fuck you. If I need to say that, you know? So, <laughs> and that's what I love about you. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm with Nick. Um, I, I mean, and, and I'll be honest, there's some, um, the planning side of you, I would say, and the need to kind of make sure things are going to happen in a way is a very Kaz-ish uh, part of you. But I'd say it's it's outweighed with the with the Nina aspect for sure.
1: Oh, so, that's interesting. Okay, yeah. I love all of these. Go ahead, Maureen. <laughs> I mean, it
2: was interesting that, you know, before we got on here, you were like, I've got a plan. Don't worry. That's a very Kaz thing. But yeah, when, when Nick said Nina... You sounded surprised, so I'm curious who who you would have picked for yourself. Well,
1: I mean, I I definitely feel super connected to Inej. I think we are a lot of like, I think growing up, the way that I the the things that I did and got in trouble with as a child as a teenager, um, is very Inej. I didn't kill anyone. Everyone It wasn't that. It was just I was a little bit, you know, I was rough. Okay. Quick disclaimer. Um, didn't exactly. Kill <laughs> yeah, didn't kill anyone. didn't hurt anyone. Um, just and I also, I understand, Inej's, not to be seen. To be overlooked, and then ultimately to use that. As a weapon, you know. Uh, Billy, were you going to say something? I thought you
3: said. I w- I was actually going to. Say something to the effect of a combination, you know, like maybe you're a recovering Inej, but uh, I think that you've, you know, blossomed into a Nina. <laughs> and because uh, you're gregarious, you're social, you're charming. And I think that, um, and you, you do draw people together. Um, and you also encourage. You know, like mental flexibility. I think that like Matthias is really rigid. A lot of people are really rigid, and Nina is always encouraging them to, to look at the world in a different way. And I think that you uh, you certainly do that for a lot of people.
1: Oh, thanks, everyone. You know, I think what's interesting is we start to see, and we're not talking about this book on this on these episodes. We see a lot more growth of Matthias in Crooked Kingdom and Wyland. They really blossom in a different ways and the other crows deepen in a lot of different ways. So I want to end this episode with, um, I want you to, um, I wrote this down in our questions. And even if you didn't get to like jot things down, I think all of us has brought up some really interesting points about each character. So take two of the crows and make a character diagram in the diagram, list their attributes and flaws. So I'm going to go first, and I'm going to pick Inej. Inej is your uh, thief, your wraith, your assassin. She's skilled with knives. She's skilled with climbing walls. She has also had to endure being a prostitute. She also was stolen from her family. She is also in the Grisha verse, a shoe who um, are looked down upon um, as less than. Her skin is looked down upon as less than. Um, these are all things that inform her, affect her, and are damaged parts of her. Um, I thought what I looked at as a writer reading this is that Lee didn't make anyone who was perfect. No one was super strong, super smart. They all had these attributes, but then they also had these flaws and those flaws affected their sometimes judgment or sometimes their reactions to things. You know, let's look at Matthias's um, racism. We'll call it racism because he is definitely racist. Of you're hateful towards Grisha, right? And it totally affects his judgment until he actually starts to get to know Nina. So, with that, like in mind, is there one character that um, anyone would like to talk about, like their their attributes and then their flaws, Marshall?
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna grab Jesper just on because something you just said jumped out at me. I'm going to take his addiction and his, his gambling and his compulsiveness as um, a flaw. And that, that puts, I don't know, when you know somebody that struggles with these things um, that puts other people in peril. Right. And, and if you're part of a collective group, um, those little decisions, like at some point, Jesper makes the wrong decision and he loses something and it's just not, and, and and that affects more than just him. Right. Um, so that, that spoke to me, um, quite a bit, um, you know, but he's, you know, he's obviously an asset when he doesn't, when he's not beholden to those, uh, to those addictions and those compulsions. And I think it's the group that pulls him away from those things when he needs it. Right. Um, So yeah, that's, that's my response to that.
1: I love it. Anyone have any other Gabe? Well, Gabe and then Marie.
4: So I'm thinking about Wyland and that like his attributes are kind of obvious once we get to see them, like he has a beautiful mind. He has so many abilities that none of them have. Like everyone, like they make fun of how, what Wyland is doing, no one else could do. So I think that that's amazing and uh, I'm like, trying to think about his flaws, and I can only think of his like how insecure he is with a group becomes being reckless to prove himself. He doesn't particularly fail, but there's like a couple of instances where if things went a little bit wrong, things would have been very wrong from the things he did. So so I would like, like to, to ask the group, what else would you think about violin as a flaw?
0: Yeah. I, outside, outside of, you know, his, his need to prove himself. uh, I think that's, that's a massive flaw for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that drives everything that anytime he screws up, it's, it's, it's usually around that. I can't think of anything else. Billy.
3: I'd say he's, he's pretty naive. Oh yeah. Um, He in the way that in, you know, in uh, the barrel, he's like thinking the best of people still or hoping for the best of people still. Um, so I think that's naive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I would say with Wyland, it's his dyslexia. His dyslexia, and I don't mean that like ha- I'm dyslexic, um, is a flaw. What I mean is, is that it m- does not make them a this perfect superhuman character, this perfect person who can build things. His dyslexia holds him back because he has always been taught that he was dumb. Or stupid, and it affects his emotional well being. And when it turns out he is brilliant and smart, and he has a lot to give. And I think by um, how many people, how many kids, young adults who read this, who are going through something at their time of their life, who struggle with um, a learning disability or reading, you know, um, and could have read this or listened to it on audio. Um, and really identify, you know what I mean? I think all of us can identify even with a struggle that we've had and it, in turn, it makes us want to try to, uh, prove something to ourselves. Um, Marie, what did you, uh, what did you have?
2: Yeah. So I wanted to talk about Kaz. Um, you know, he's obviously meticulous. He has a plan and then 17 plans under that in case things don't go well. Um, obviously intelligent. I mean, he's planning to the point of being like prescient, you know, he it's like he knows what's going to happen. Um, but flaws, I think that really come up for him. Um, he's slow to trust, can't let his guard down. Maybe it's almost impossible for him to trust. Uh, he's vengeful and he's wrathful. And I think, I suspect one of the only reasons he has such a loyal crew is because things work out for the most part. Um, if they didn't, I think he'd be an extremely difficult person to be around.
1: I agree. Yeah. Go ahead, Billy.
3: I was going to talk about Kaz too. And I agree. And I agree with everything that uh, Marie said. And, um, I would throw in that he's, he's tough, uh, as well. Like he's just, he, um, just keeps standing back up over and over. Um, he understands people on a really, really deep level. um, And he has that, that poisonous resentment. He's jaded, he's self-centered. And I think that a big arc for him is that he believes um, love and trust are a liability, are liabilities and, uh, and make him weak. And so I I think that's a big, sort of a big flaw for him that, that um, needs to be sort of rectified in the end.
1: Marshall or Nick, did you want to add anything?
0: Yeah, just uh, uh, around Kaz, I mean, there is, uh, there's a level of trauma and there's a level of, uh, like, I would say OCD with that character as well that makes it, and I think that goes to what Marie was saying as far as the planning aspect of it. It's like, there's no way he, there's no way Kaz cannot have all those plans. Like, he can't be like, all right, I got one plan. Let's see how it goes. It's like, he has to have 15 plans within plans and contingencies for those plans. Right. Um, but then I, I, I always come back to the, the touch and, and, and the cane, like I, those, those two things to me, like, you know, I don't want to say like the cane isn't necessarily like uh, you know, like a safety net or like, you know, and then there's like, this 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 ability to not to aversion to touching people's skin i know folks like this and i think that's really interesting to have that on top of this meticulous planning on top of the trauma um and i think um yeah I, I, it makes this is why i think i love this book so much is that that none of these characters are a superman all of these characters are heavily flawed and they need each other um but they're also they have to figure it out on their on their own as well. Right. They come to these conclusions and break through some of these barriers because of the people around them. And I think it's really I, I don't know. I I Kaz is really a co- really, really compelling character. Um and I and I think I think what you guys said as far as that, I don't think he like I said, he cannot do what he does. And I think that's really interesting. Um, to have that be the leader of a group. So
1: that's a really excellent point uh nick
5: so matthias right i want to disagree with something you said will don't kill me for it you said he was racist right against the grisha yeah but i think i think coming out and saying that we're kind of we're eliminating what nina did to him previously and the true and and as as is described like she was very I mean, saved
1: like, him. i mean she, she saved t- him that's one way to look at it. That's per perspective, There's, right? No, she totally, one hundred percent saved his life.
5: I mean, but he doesn't see it that way. He doesn't. That that's not something that is apparent for him right away. Nick, and everyone's video froze, when- so I can't see oh. your reaction. Well,
2: are you talking oh, about go. when um, she she like uh, sells him out essentially as a mm-hmm. as a slaver? Okay,
5: yeah. And from that point, he's very, very jaded.
1: Okay, let's okay, hear I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you there because Matthias was already brought up and conditioned and indoctrinated in this culture that Grisha were evil. And he had Inferni burn down and kill his sister, his mother. So that reinforced this hatred. And he said something to Nina. Okay, early on, um, where she says, I'm going to paraphrase this, where she says something to the effect of, um, you hate us um, because, you know, we have gifts. And he goes, well, he says something to the effect, well, um, you're unnatural. The Grisha is unnatural. It goes against everything that nature is. And... um. Nina is basically saying, you know, is that what you think I am? You think I'm unnatural and, um, I shouldn't exist. And his response was, well, maybe you shouldn't. This is before she actually had to turn him in, which by the way, saved his motherfucking life. Okay. I'm just saying it. And you just calling it out.
0: (laughs) Well, you're right. I mean, that, that thought process right there is the racism. I think that Nick is trying, that Will is pointing out, Nick. I mean, and I totally get that the idea he's coming from this, He's he is indoctrinated. He is brainwashed. He's part of this culture of hatred, right? Um, and I think Nina's what pulls him out of it. And I think that's what I think is important to understand that because he sees, I don't know, if you want to say humanity or whatever within her, is when he starts to break down those the, that conditioning that he that he's that he was raised to believe and he be- believed until he met her. Billy,
1: you know M- Marie I put would. something really brilliant in the uh in the um chat and she said, you know, it also maps on top of queerphobia. Mm. You know, and you Does. can definitely see that. You can really see how that, you know, mimics that. Um I'm sorry Billy, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh no no
3: no no problem. Um, I, uh, I I was gonna just throw out there that uh, Matthias has like a lens, a frame, you know, that he's looking through for the world, and I think that he started to set that down a little bit, and then when Nina, you know, turned him in, he immediately picked up that lens again, mm-hmm. and it was just really quick for him because that's that that sort of like racist, um, you know, phobic lens that he's looking through. Um, And so that's like, as if I'm thinking about it that way, it's easy for him to make the conclusion that she turned him in. But if he's thinking, you know, she's thinking like a well, like a, you know, completely rounded human being, uh, he could have thought, well, maybe she did this to save me in some way. You know what I mean? It's the, it's the hatred that blocks that, that conclusion.
1: Yes. Go ahead, Maureen.
2: I mean, I do want to come to Matthias's defense that I think he maybe has the biggest arc growth in this book. Like, he completely flips his worldview 180 degrees. And I think that shows immense strength of character. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I'm curious, Nick, if there are other things that, you know, you've you when you were kind of like thinking about him. Um, that came up for you is like how those, um, those flaws and attributes like spoke to each other.
5: Yeah. I mean, like you said, he's got a really good development arc. And I, me personally, I think when Nina turned him in as a slaver, it, it made it even harder for him to have that type of arc. He was, he was on the road for change. And then all of a sudden his previous conceptions of her, all of a sudden became true again. And it took him a long time to work that out. And it put him in a place where he wasn't able to do that. Um, and, and then we see, and I haven't read the first three books either. Um, so I'm pulling directly from six of crows on my knowledge here. Um, you know, we, we see him kind of rego through all that all over again. We, we get a couple flashbacks. We see him relive these things um, over and over again. And I, I thought it was, really interesting that we saw his strong attributes as a military person help change the way he was thinking. And then all of a sudden it became stickier and stickier. Oh no, Nina's actually like, no, I'm wrong. And this is why I'm wrong. You can't change my mind now.
1: And I think that makes it for a great writing Mm -hmm. because what Lee did there was instead of him having a, a moment where of complete change, she goes the other way, which builds up tension for every single character because of Matthias's uh, distrusting attitude. Um, Gabe.
4: So I'm thinking of like from a craft perspective of Matthias's arc. I think first, it, I mean, it's brilliant because every single decision he makes is tied to the story and the outcome of the heist. So I think that raises the stakes like amazingly but also you can see every single decision he makes from the flashbacks to the present in the story. Every single decision could go either way and you would believe it. You would say, yep, this is." he could have done this. And I think that's a perfect gray area in a character and it's so brilliantly done. And I loved the decisions he came to, but I think that, that, that was so, so well done.
1: Um, you know what? And I think, you know, this is a wrap for this episode. I want to go over some of the things that we really talked about. We really talked about um, how we viewed it through a seven point plot structure, a three act structure about what called to us. We really got to talk about the characters we identified with and who we were. Um, and, you know, we really got to take apart the characters of their flaws and also their greatness. Which is, from a writing perspective, really important to remember that not not one of those characters felt like a monolith. That they were representative of whatever part of um, the verse they were from. So, before uh, we exit out, uh, Marie, why don't you start and let us know where we can find you on social media and all your good stuff about your book. <laughs>
2: Yeah, probably the easiest thing to do is just head to marieparks.com, M-A-R-I-E-P-A-R-K-S, because I have one of those names that sounds deceptively simple, but it's hard to spell sometimes. Um, and you can find my social there, my email list and everything.
1: Amazing. And
4: Gabe? So I'm basically on Twitter and Instagram under the name Gable F. Salmaron. I hope it's going to be in the show notes. because Yes,
1: it'll be in the show notes. It will
4: be. No worries. Yeah.
1: Thank you. <laughs> and Billy, do you have any social media that you would like to share with the group?
3: Uh, yeah, you can find me at Billy Allen Um, and, uh, you can also find me on Twitter at B a Palmer underscore rights.
1: BAP. Love it. <laughs> and all of our social media links will be at the end and donate to our Patreon, everyone. And that's a wrap. <laughs>
0: And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.